Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. So when you first start talking to her, she's basically like, I knew Elizabeth Sobek. We were friends. We ran in the same circles. But the way she's talking, and I mean, I guess a credit to Carrie Ann Moss's voice acting skill, but I was like, they were totally fucking. <laughs> I, I remember slacking Jamie being like, okay, I hope there's some kind of confirmation that they were together because there's just no way that they're not. Like this is, yeah, this yeah. is so, there's so much lesbian unsaid restraint going on in the scene that like I can't barely deal. <laughs> Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. But this is not one of those weeks. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy Special Edition Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West spoiler cast. <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> it's time to get cozy, pull up an armchair, feel free to lie down on your couch, and let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, how do you feel about Horizon Forbidden West? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh I feel I feel this forbidden. I feel weird spoiling. It's like we don't we we're so strict about not talking about spoilers. So it's exciting to do our first official spoiler cast. Yes. Um I you know, having played the game, I love it. I it's the most beautiful game I've ever played. Yeah. Um it was amazing to see Aloy again because uh the first horizon game, Horizon uh Horizon Zero Dawn. It was a very important game to me, um, and I played it at a very critical time in my life. I played this one at a much more stabilized place in my life, and mm-hmm. just in general, I felt like um, the game felt like it had matured a lot, which is mm. great. I also just felt very... I, I, I had these moments where I'd be playing the game, and I was like, oh, this feels like Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This feels like God of War. This feels like The Legend of Zelda. Like, I I just Mm. have these very specific, like, I know exactly, or this feels like Mass Effect. Like, it just, it felt very, very triple A to the point where it was feeling almost like it was becoming formulaic to me. Mm. Um, And so, I don't know, I guess maybe think about, you know... (laughs) The, this conversation about open world games are becoming so bloated. Uh, should games really be just trying to suck as many hours out of you as they can? Or is it more important to just tell a good story or have fun gameplay? And I'm not, I don't, I don't have an opinion on that either way. As someone who absolutely loves getting sucked into hundreds of hour long open world games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just, I just really felt the, the glow up. Um, and I, I, I found myself kind of missing the, the newness and the smaller scope of the first game. Um, that being said, I think it's so far maybe the best game I've played this year. So it's like, I'm not mad about it. It's just mm-hmm. something that's that's changed for me. 
Um, what about you though? How did, how did you feel now that you've finished playing? Well, I just, I, first of all, I wanted to ask, like, do you mm. think some of that you playing the game and saying like, Oh, I'm seeing mass effect in this. I'm seeing legend of Zelda in this. I'm seeing uh God of war in this. I want, I, I'm curious if you think some of that, like when you played horizon zero dawn in what was it? 2017. Yeah. Do you think you're you, like, you're a different gamer now mm. too than you were in 2017, right? Like all those True. games you named, I think I'm pretty sure all those games you named you've played since you played Horizon. Yeah, the past two, the past two. How long have we been doing this, co- doing this podcast? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's true. I've definitely become my scope has widened a lot, and I've played more games in the past two years than I did in the like five years before that. So I think too, yeah, it's entirely possible that I've just been playing a lot more games. And so I'm just more versed in seeing the through lines that sort of connect all games and the the patterns or features that we sort of, that sort of become a shared language. Like I feel like I am picking up on more of that. So yeah, so it's not necessarily a bad thing maybe i'm just more informed so it doesn't feel as new to me anymore (laughs) (laughs) uh well then yeah to to go back to your question i feel pretty similarly about the game i think i really i i'm less i don't know i i shouldn't i don't feel i'm not super critical on the stuff that i think the game is pulling from other games i think that's a very Mm -hmm. common thing for triple a games to pull from other games and i don't i actually kind of um take issues sometimes with the way that mainstream games media can really seem like they're kind of coming for games that Mm. don't do quote unquote do anything innovative when a triple a game doesn't like change the world and i I felt like there was a lot of criticism that I heard levied specifically at Forbidden West for mm. not being innovative enough. Mm. And to me, that's kind of, I don't know, it feels like a weird argument to make. I think that AAA games, I think that the AAA space is by design a less innovative space. Uh, I think partially because those games are made by so many more mm. people uh, than than the smaller indie space. I, I don't know. I guess I looked. I looked to the innovation and and the deep creativity and the games that are really going to surprise me with what they do. T- typically, to come from smaller studios because it's it's a fewer number of people. They might be experimenting. They're not trying to make a mass media product in the same way that a AAA game developer is. They're they're just there's the scale is completely different. The number of people that are pulling a salary off of that game is completely different. Mm -hmm. And I think they have to make something that's going to appeal to the widest market. And so it makes sense to me that those games quote unquote, play it safer. But I think what they do better than, than most indie games will be able to do is to create something that's huge, that can feel epic, that can feel like an entire world that you can Mm. go live in and Mm -hmm. exist in. And maybe it didn't revolutionize, revolutionize, game design Mm -hmm. but in a lot of ways it's about for me the triple a space is about honing the ideas and craft that has already come before and making something that's like very polished Mm. um in a like take yeah taking the other ideas and making something super polished from it um that they're able to put the time and resources to creating and then doing that on a much bigger scale i think i just am looking for something different and that's not it's not something that i critique the game on Mm-hmm. So for me, I think this game did exactly what I hoped it would do. And and most of my complaints that I have about this game are, are more around some of the narrative decisions that mm-hmm. they made um, as the story develops. Yeah, 
No, that that's a really great point. And I think, you know, another way of looking at it is like, it is pretty innovative that you're making something that needs to have mass appeal that so many different types of people need to be able to pick up and play. And they can like the fact that, you know, millions of people are able to pick up this game and have a great experience is a reflective of the fact that it was made by very talented people who are able to bring together all of these many disparate pieces into one cohesive whole world. So mm-hmm. great point. I've changed my mind. <laughs> no, no, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I think I think it's a valid thing to say, but it's not something that I think uh, like, I don't know, I see people using that as a reason to kind of take points off of a review score. Yeah. I just I think that particular criticism so much of that kind of comes down to whether or not you're already enjoying the game or whether or not a game is working for for you personally. Mm-hmm. I feel similarly about stuff that that people would classify as like quality of life improvements, which is like a big bucket of things that games do to make the gameplay feel more streamlined or immersive. I think that's a super subjective bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's plenty of people who love the way in Assassin's Creed you can kind of, uh, in the modern Assassin's Creed games, you can kind of run past a resource and just click the button and it just appears in your inventory mm. and there's really no animation that indicates that you pick the thing up. Or the way your mounts can just uh, jump off of tall things and not get hurt. And and yeah. there's plenty of people who love that style of game design because it just makes it easy for them to move through the world. But I personally find that immersion-breaking, like... Mm. I would prefer the <laughs> I prefer the short animation that shows my character picking the thing up because mm-hmm. it makes it feel like it's like I'm making a decision to pick that item up. If I need that item, if I don't need that item, then I shouldn't press the button and then I don't have to watch the few second I- animation. So I don't know. I think some of that stuff, you're more inclined to get irritated if you're not enjoying the game mm-hmm. more broadly, which is fine. And then like critique the game for the reasons that you're not enjoying it. But I I don't know. Anyway, I've kind of gone off the rails there. Uh, So this is our spoiler cast. Yeah. (laughs) Which means we're going to spoil the game. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to spoil the game. All of it. This is not an episode that has an interview in it. So uh, probably should have said that immediately. So (laughs) hi, if you were here for the interview, I'm sorry. There isn't one today. Um, Not on this episode. I'm not quite sure where we're, when we're going to release this exactly yet, but it'll kind of fall on an off week um, that's not one of our standard episode releases. So there's no interview today. Surprise. Oh, oh, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> we're only going to be talking about Horizon Forbidden West, and we are going to be digging into story and mechanic spoilers, like full spoilers for the game, no holds barred. So if you are someone who does not want to be spoiled on Horizon Forbidden West, this here is your final warning. (laughs) Get out, (laughs) run away, turn the podcast off, go play the game and come back later. Um, But if you're one of those sickos, (laughs) like me, I can be the sicko sometimes, who wants to listen to a spoiler cast, even though you haven't engaged with the product, uh, I think let's, let's start the conversation by just sharing a little bit about kind of the overall narrative of the game so you have something to go off of uh we probably won't spend a lot of time breaking down every single thing that we're going to talk about today but for the folks who who like to spoil themselves spencer yeah take me through (laughs) take me on a journey across the forbidden west (laughs) okay so let me see if i can break this down into a few sentences (laughs) so at the onset of this game 
Aloy has just saved the world from an evil AI who had hacked uh, these combat machines that were left behind by the remnants of human civilization who had attempted to escape Earth about a thousand years prior. And unfortunately, their ship crashed and burned is what people believed. And so it's, it's believed that the humans remaining on Earth are the last of of the, the last of us. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> um, the last of, of humanity. And because um, the people who attempted to leave the planet a thousand years ago, uh, and again, this was a highly advanced society um, who had created these AIs in an attempt to save the world from climate destruction. Um, but, you know, p- humans being humans, other people wanted to turn them into weapons or use them as a way to like subjugate others. And so it just kind of went haywire from there. Um, all of human knowledge and artifacts and basically everything that our history can be drawn from was brought with these folks onto this ship. And so essentially Aloy and the people that she knows in her life and the people living on the planet in the world of the game have formed their own cultures and societies, uh, having no access to what humanity was before, what our history was. And so that's why they're so culturally different. And also why this is, uh, this is something <laughs> I discovered late game, but um, this question comes up of, you know, we're all from different places and we all have different tribes and cultures. Why do we all speak the same language? Mm. Um, and so that was sort of answered by the fact that um, I guess when all of the texts and stuff were taken, um, that included all of the human languages and there was only one language left behind and uh, that's what people spoke like the humans who were left behind. I don't know. I guess it's still a little bit of a, sh- of a flimsy argument, but well, it's, it's, <laughs> it was the humans that were like born first into the, yeah. when, when the machines and the cauldrons and stuff started spitting baby humans back out into the world, Yeah, they did get, even though they didn't get all of the education of like all of human history, they did oh, still yes. get the language that had, because that was like, I don't know, some lower level subroutine. Yeah. 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 Okay, so that all happened. Aloy saves the world. At the beginning of this game, a friend of hers, Silence, who had helped her figure out how to hack machines and use her focus, which helps her see more about the world around her. He's gone. She's trying to find him. And he has a mysterious plot where he's um, infiltrated um, this tribe called the Tanakh, which who live in the Forbidden West. And he's essentially um, aiding a mercenary among their ranks to build an army um, that she is hoping will take down another Tanakh leader who has wronged her. Um, But meanwhile, Silence is building an army for his own purposes, which aren't as yet to be understood. As Aloy is on her journey trying to find him, we also learned that the ship that left a thousand years ago Uh, that was believed to have been crashed did not crash. Um, In fact, this group of people called, they call themselves the far Zeniths. Um, They survived, um, made it to another star system, but essentially they got so they had a lot of technology, right? And essentially it was like, 
what if phones, but too much. Like you basically <laughs> well, lived. In- I think it's important to note that like the folks who ended up on the far zenith ship, it was like kind of it was this kind of thing that was like buy your way off the planet. Yeah. Only the most rich and elite folks can get a spot on this spaceship and just go fuck off to the stars while the rest of the planet burns. Yeah. And so it it is uh I think definitely meant to be like alluding to the billionaire class that we <laughs> see existing right now. So the people who are on the ship are Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, these fucks that are uh, trying to go to, that were actively watched trying to expand into space right now. Mm. Those are the folks who ended up on this ship. And so, yeah, they fucked off into the stars and then they selfishly kind of just did nothing with all of the technology and power that they had and just kind yeah. of like it, it, besides learn how to live forever. <laughs> Right. So (laughs) they basically were living in virtual reality and not doing anything to actually, you know, build a colony for themselves on a new planet and figure out how to live among the flora and fauna. Um, They spent those thousand years um, just vibing, I guess. (laughs) And uh, as Jimmy was alluding, they figured out how to immortalize themselves through these through these uh, risky treatments. Um, where they have preserved their bodies. And so these Farzinas did that. A thousand years passed, and it turned out the planet they were inhabiting, um, they had built a base there, but it's, there was some sort of uh, electromagnetic event, electromagnetic event, and there was a climate failure on that planet too. And so that planet started to collapse. And so in this game, the Farzinas are coming back to Earth with the intent of taking like hacking the terraforming system again, similar to the first game where the evil uh, uh, AI Hades was trying to overtake and hack the terraforming system to create killer machines. These folks want to take it over with the intent of completely wiping out all of the people that live on Earth now, all of the the land, and basically reform it in their image. Um, And it's very, like, very colonialist, racist Mm -hmm. uh like uh, phobic vision uh like like the way that they talk about the current inhabitants of earth is very condescending and very like oh you're primitive you're uh you're not like real people who deserve to live here basically so they kind of (laughs) suck yeah Um, the farzinas suck i think we can safely say verdict on the farzinas Suck. They suck. suck. We can slap that stamp on them. Yeah. (laughs) They suck. Except that the game does strip away that motivation at the very end. Right? Which motivation? The motivation that they are just trying to terraform the planet in their likeness so that they can re-inhabit it. Right? That's what we spend the vast majority of the game believing, Mm -hmm. is that the real threat here is the Farzinas who have returned Uh. to Earth that they are the ones that initially sent the extinction protocol signal to the Hades AI that caused Gaia's subroutines to become uh, sentient and separate from Gaia, and that they are trying to terraform the planet so that they can re-inhabit it. And we spend pretty much the whole game believing that that is their motivation and that that's what's going on. And then at the very end of the game, we get a fun little rug pull. Yeah. (laughs) And we learn about Nemesis. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it turns out what was really happening is that their planet didn't just just die randomly like Earth. 
uh, the one that they were trying to colonize. What had happened was, so <laughs> basically, it's like they uploaded copies of all of their consciousnesses. Okay, into- so actually, I had to look this up okay, because okay, okay. I think I think the game does not. I think it's hard to follow. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck this thing actually is, right? <laughs> but it's so here's here's what it what it says. When the colonists of Far Zenith arrived on the planet Sirius, which is the planet they found way out on the solar system, they built an advanced civilization. They were eventually able to achieve physical immortality, allowing them to live for millennia. However, some of the colonists were not satisfied with physical immortality and began experimenting with a kind of digital immortality that would allow them to upload their minds into any form, organic or mechanical. Nemesis mm. is the byproduct of one such failed attempt to create a digital database of Far Zenith mines. It was contained and left intact, but ultimately abandoned. Unbeknownst to the colonists, the ent- entity eventually grew sentient and vengeful. Nemesis eventually escaped and used its incredible bank of knowledge as a weapon against Far Zenith by hacking their systems, printing machines, and destroying the colony in a matter of hours. So Nemesis also destroyed their colony. Yeah. On the yeah. other planet. And I'm reading this off of the horizon.fandom.com wiki. <laughs> I love a dedicated wiki. It's like the I best too. <laughs> thing ever. I'm glad somebody is fucking explaining this shit because yeah. my God, the actual game. No. I like, whoo, and this all just like gets info dumped yeah. in a cutscene at the very end of the game, which I thought I thought was rough. What, what do mm-hmm. you think about Nemesis? What are your feelings? Yeah, so I guess, okay, so all of these clone i mean it's basically like if you copy a consciousness i guess it's you right so it's like all Mm -hmm. of these folks are just stuck in this uh box and are percolating in there together and i suppose they have no no inputs no like they got like i guess it's like they went insane from loneliness and oh and also there was something about they carry all the hatreds and prejudices and like badness of each person and it's all like put together into one big blob <laughs> which so, it's literally visualized as like a red swirling like wrathful yeah. blob on the screen too and now it's hurtling towards earth so <laughs> that's like i guess game three <laughs> yeah yeah i i guess i just i felt it felt like the last mm, hour of the game was like a different game kind of um i don't know it just felt like all of a sudden and maybe that's fine i don't i don't i don't know that i feel strongly one way or another because i'm happy to play another horizon game but i just sort of felt like um this game was so much about and i'm i think you have i think you have more eloquent things to say on this than me but i I I felt like a big part of the game was about aloy learning that she can't do it all on her. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to mention is that for folks who may not be familiar, Aloy is a clone of Elizabeth Sobek, who is the woman who invented the uh, Horizon Zero Dawn like um, program, which was designed to terraform the Earth. And she created Gaia, I believe, well, with a team of people. She created these AIs that were meant to protect and foster the Earth. Um, and so as her clone, Aloy feels like so much is on her shoulders that she's, she is in a lot of ways, the only one who can save the world um, because her genetic 
signature is like the only thing that can open certain doors and access these places where knowledge is buried. And she has the power and knowledge to fight back against this thing. Um, but this game was really about her learning that no one is an island and that she needs to accept the help of her friends um, and that letting people help you, like, it's not protecting people just to push them away, um, even mm-hmm. though it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just, it felt like there were a lot of relationship uh, storylines that deserved, or maybe one in particular, I think like Varl and Aloy, like, like I, I just felt like the game, it deserved an ending that was focused on the relationships that brought Aloy this far. And instead it felt like, in the last hour of the game, we completely threw, cause it felt like we were building towards that. And then it just kind of completely let that go and mm-hmm. focused on this new threat. And so I just felt kind of like whiplash of like, yeah. Oh, but what about my friends? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think, I think there is a way to make nemesis interesting as a concept, as a villain, as something to look out for in the third game. Um, which they are very clearly the way this game ends. We're getting a third game. I, I think there's like no question about that. They're very no clearly, way. they're very clearly setting this up. I mean, the first game uh, had kind of like an after credit scene sort of a thing that set up the idea that Silence was maybe not entirely trustworthy and that Hades still existed and woo, what's coming mm-hmm. in the next game. Um, so I think folks were pretty confident that we were getting a sequel after Zero Dawn as well. But this game, like, it's not even a cutscene. It it literally <laughs> takes away what would have felt like a, a real ending to this yeah. game and replaces it with setup for the next game, which I think is the that's the that's that's a really big sin in my book. Like, tell me a complete story, then worry about what we're gonna do next. Yeah. Because I just put uh 80 hours into this shit, and I want like to feel like I accomplished something and to feel like this story has a clear arc. Right. And we don't get that because we really don't get much emotional or relational Mm. closure Mm -hmm. or even growth in this game. That's really put on display. Like the, 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 there's almost none. Like I'm sitting here kind of racking my brain. Like what was the, and, and, you know, I guess in Zero Dawn, I guess we don't really get it either. Yeah. So I guess they're just not interested in how these, re- uh, like, absurd stakes and what these characters are going through is actually impacting the characters. Mm. And I do think that is a huge, for all the ways this game tries to draw parallels between itself and, like, a Mass Effect 2, that's a huge place where you're getting it wrong. Because Mass Effect 2 is a game about saving the universe but at the end of the day you are so invested in how that is impacting the individual characters in the game and the story grounds itself in that and i think the best epic storytelling does that Mm. grounds us in the impact on on our characters that we are following through the story because epic stakes alone are not enough like Mm -hmm. then it's just spectacle. You're too far removed from it. If you're not understanding the actual toll, the the physical and emotional and mental toll on the characters that we're following and that we care about, then like, why are we telling this story? Yeah. Right? Why are we telling it? And I think Nemesis, like I said, as a villain can be interesting. Like, it's an interesting idea that some of like the most 
greedy and self-absorbed people in humanity went into space, put their consciousness consciousnesses like into a fucking USB and uh and that thing like broiled and then they turned their back on it like some neglected child mm-hmm. and now it's out to get its its creators. Mm-hmm. It's not a concept that's like completely unexplored in, in the world of sci-fi, but it's yeah. interesting enough, like interesting enough and I could see us building it cuz you know, they kind of say at the end of the game, like Nemesis can't be stopped at the end of the game. Nemesis is still coming for the planet Earth, even though the Farzinas have been defeated. Mm. So what does that look like? How do we how do we battle that? But you've also killed all your Farzinas characters. Yeah, like I, I, I kind of feel like taking putting it all on Nemesis and turning the Farzinas into a group of selfish people who are really just running away from their own bad decisions mm. kind of makes the fact that the ending is focused on us straight up murking all of the Farzinas a little bit like, I don't know. I, I feel kind of like weird about that. I don't think mm-hmm. they're good people, but should we have murdered them with <laughs> robots? <laughs> like, Should we have murdered them with robot dinosaurs? That was an epic ass scene. Yeah. But now that we're standing here realizing like, oh, you guys were just afraid because you fucked up and now it's coming for you. And we just murdered all of you because we thought you were trying to, like, destroy humanity when really you're just trying to get the hell away. Well, they also were. Try- <laughs> but, I mean, they were trying to get the hell away, but they were also then saying, and to get away, we need to destroy this other civilization in order to put our perfect one in its place. It's like, okay, you went a little far there. like. like Except was- they weren't they weren't trying to do anything with Earth. All they were trying to do was take Gaia. All they were trying to do, they, I mean, they were dooming Earth in the process. They were certainly willing to doom Earth, but they weren't, they weren't trying, like, Earth was like a unintended side, like the thing that was, that was going to happen to the people of Earth was kind of an unintentional side effect of them trying to escape and go find a way to live their I own useless lives. they were going to use lives. the terraforming stuff to re-terraform Earth. Was that not- No, they were going to use it to go re-terraform some other place. Oh. The whole reason they were getting the, they, the Earth was like a stop. They, that was I a see. pit stop. Okay. They were like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run away from Nemesis. We're going to have a quick pit stop at Earth to get the AI that we need to terraform a new planet. And then we're going to keep running. We're going to run right. so far away that Nemesis can't find us. And you know what? Maybe Nemesis will get distracted because there's people on Earth and Nemesis really doesn't like people. So maybe Nemesis <laughs> will just stop at Earth and not come find us. It's okay. shitty. Like, yeah. I'm not saying they deserve to be like put on a pedestal for their actions, but also they weren't in t- they weren't directly trying to kill humanity. Like, I, I don't know. I just think it could have been a more interesting narrative to find out how may like, I don't know what, what could catharsis look like mm-hmm. if, we could actually help these people understand what they're doing. What if some of the Farzinas, not the leaders that they showed us were complete assholes. They deserve to die. There was like 30 or 40 of these people. At least one of them had to maybe be a decent person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or like deep down, like be like, you know what? We've kind of been just like sitting on our asses for a thousand years. Maybe I want to try to change and like do something good for humanity. I don't know. That could have been interesting. That could have been interesting if we got a few of the Farzinas characters kind of switching sides and being like, actually, yeah. The fact that these people are giving us a run for their money with like their bows and arrows and shit, like maybe he- there's something to be said about humanity still being worth saving. Hmm. But we kind of just wiped them off the board and now we've got the nemesis threat set up for the next game. I mean, I don't think Tilda's dead because we didn't actually see her die. We just saw her hand limply fall 
but unless you see them being buried, I I don't think she's dead. I think she okay. escaped. Okay, but then let's let's talk about this game's Tilda yeah, problem. Let's talk about that. Because she's a whole other uh misused <laughs> resource. So yeah. Tilda, uh oh boy, what's do you know her full name? Vandermeer. Tilda Vandermeer. Uh she was basically like what, corporate spy? Yeah, corporate spy and art collector <laughs> in real life. And uh, oh, hey, also Elizabeth Sobek's girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so this is so funny because when you first meet Tilda in the game, so she is uh, a far. Carrie oh, sorry. Moss. Sorry, I just wanted oh, to throw yeah. out Tilda. If you've seen the trailers, that Tilda is the character that's played by Carrie Ann Moss, and she is one of the Farzinas. Please continue. Yes. yes. Um, and you find that she is sort of sympathetic to your cause. Like she saves you, um, from a near death experience. And but not Varl. Not Varl. But couldn't not do it Varl. just a little bit sooner. We're going to come back. We're going to yeah, come back. Yeah, we'll come back. Varl dies though. Spoiler. So, this is all spoilers. Yeah. So <laughs> Varl dies, guys. We're going to come back to that. Tilda, yeah. Tilda can't be bothered to save us just no. like 30 seconds sooner. Right. Waited until Varl died. And then saved us. But whatever, that's fine. That's fine. No problem. No problem. I'm not salty about it. No. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so you learn, so she goes, so when you first start talking to her, she's basically like, I knew Elizabeth Sobek. We were friends. We ran in the same circles. But the way she's talking, and I mean, I guess a credit to Carrie Ann Moss's voice acting skill, but I was like, they were totally fucking. <laughs> I, I remember slacking Jamie being like, okay, I hope there's some kind of confirmation that they were together because there's just no way that they're not. Like this is yeah, this yeah. is so there's so much lesbian unsaid restraint going on in the scene that like I can barely deal. Um I guess so, but I guess that's kind of the somewhat shitty part, which is that um you could go through the game having it stay completely unsaid. Yeah. Um, I only, uh, there's this portion where, uh, as we mentioned in previous episodes, there's a base where your base operations and the game um, and all your friends kind of hang out there so you can talk to them and trigger new conversations based on where you are, the story and whatnot. So right before like the big final battle, um, everyone's at the base, including Silence, Regala, and uh, and I'm sorry, Regala is the mercenary I was talking about earlier, whose silence was secretly funding and helping to learn to control machines for the played by Angela Bassett. Played by Angela Bassett, <laughs> um, another underutilized character. Yeah, my gosh. Um, and so Regala, um, after you defeat her, she you conscript. You have the option to con- kind of conscript her to help you fight your final battle. So she agrees. Um, and uh, so Tilda's in the base, and you can find her in the base and have a conversation with her and it comes out that she and elizabeth were in a romantic relationship yeah i think you can like basically just straight up ask her yeah there's like a prompt that ala has that's like so you and elizabeth or something like that yeah. like when you click when you select it Ayla's just like is there something more going on between you and elizabeth <laughs> which yeah. I, I appreciated that it was just like giving us as the player the opportunity to just straight up ask like yeah there's something else going on here hun <laughs> Ayla's like i know vibes horny vibes when i feel them because <laughs> i feel them constantly from everyone constantly around them i'm fucking me. me yeah um so so you find that out but it's like totally skippable which i'm kind of like yeah i don't know it's just sort of a 
storied tradition in games of making queer content avoidable if you don't want to engage with it for mm-hmm. whatever reason, um, which I hate. Um, yep. Just like, let her be gay. I don't know. Um, well, and, and the fact that even people who don't intentionally want to miss that do. I was listening to yeah. another spoiler cast um, from the the folks at Kind of Funny, and they were like, uh, Tilda and, and Elizabeth were definitely in a relationship, right? Like, yeah, I think they definitely must have been in a relationship. No, at first I was sitting there listening to it and I was like, yeah, they definitely confirmed that, guys. What are you talking about? And then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, no, you totally could have missed that absolutely optional conversation. And if you missed that, then you never would have gotten the straight up confirmation that they were in a relationship. So I, ugh, yeah. it, that's that's a fucking problem. That's a problem because... If you don't know that they were in a relationship together, the end, like Tilda's, Tilda's motivations are not good regardless, but they make zero sense if you don't understand that they were in a romantic relationship with each other. Yeah. I think, like, yeah. the way the way that whole end scene plays out is just yeah. like, I mean, what would you think is going on there if you didn't know? Right. It, it, anyway. But even so, okay, so we'll get, we'll get there in a minute. But I just yeah, wanted sorry, to note that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One of the main scenes with Tilda is after she rescues you, she's like, so you're in my vault that I left behind on Earth where I collected the last (laughs) remnants of the greatest pieces of art to be produced by human society. And it's like six paintings all by white people of white people. Like I'm just like, what? Like who said that this was the best of anything? It's also like. I don't know. It's all like Renaissance era. Like I was kind of just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is this the only stuff we could get permission to put in the game, right, or right. is this someone's unconscious bias showing, like, or is this? is this intentional? And we're supposed to like be realizing that Tilda's like very biased and like pretentious mm-hmm. in this moment. I feel like, as much as it tracks for her character that she would be that uh, obtuse, yeah. I don't know that I believe it was intentional. <laughs> yeah, I know. I want to believe, but mm, not the yeah. best track record. But I also clocked that. I was like, these are really okay. like all from a very <laughs> specific time and place yeah. in terms of these art pieces. And so, and it's like, yeah, it's pretty small gallery. Uh, yeah. So her being like, this is the greatest humanity had to offer. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, But the main, like thing (laughs) so the the final battle comes about because as jamie mentioned the farzina's real plan was never to stay on earth but to to take the technology and find a new planet to hide and so when the rest of the zeniths have been cleared out tilda turns to you and it's essentially like i am still i felt oh so she's like you know i felt like elizabeth and I um, I left her behind on Earth to perish while I left with the Farzee and the ship. Our relationship, you know, was over. Um, I think I made the wrong decision. If I could go back and do it over again, I would. Oh, Aloy's here. You're a genetically perfect replica of Elizabeth. Let's do this. Escape the planet with me. Let's make, let's, uh, in a, she even says, like, in a few centuries, you'll forgive me. Mm-hmm. Um Aloy is basically like, you can't force me to leave. And also I'm not Elizabeth and they fight. Um, and, and I think it's important to note that like Tilda left Elizabeth behind because Elizabeth refused to come with her. That's uh, true. Tilda was like, the planet is like going to die. 
let's save ourselves and get the hell out of here. And Elizabeth was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay and like figure out how we can save humanity. And then she ultimately does. Right. Um, so like the decision that apparently Tilda is trying to undo is the fact that she allowed Elizabeth to have autonomy in that moment and make right. a decision for herself and actually is like going to force Aloy to come with her mm-hmm. <laughs> to undo that apparently bad decision to let another person make their own decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, just from a, there's this trope called the psycho lesbian and mm-hmm. it's appeared throughout media um, where a woman is depicted as being like driven mad basically by her love for another woman and maybe something about the other woman becomes unattainable and so um she becomes evil um and i just feel like it feeds into a lot of uh stereotypes around like lesbian women especially more more butch women being predatory or into this idea that lesbians inherently are trying to get something from all of the women they know like you can't trust um a lesbian to not hit on you like like it's just like it feeds into like Mm. a lot of these really shitty and obviously untrue beliefs about um women who love women and Mm -hmm. um it was pretty disappointing to me in this game because you know this is a game that is completely devoid of any romantic interaction um, and so I was personally very excited at when it was hinting that Elizabeth and um, Tilda were in a relationship, even if it had ended. I was, you know, very drawn by that. I was like, oh, finally, some sort of romantic plot line <laughs> that I can relate to and give these characters some a little bit more depth. Not that you have to have romance for a game to be interesting, yeah. but I'm just a sucker for that kind of for tragic stuff. and. Um, I was really excited. I was like, oh, wow, like Gorilla's actually, um, you know, making some kind of showing some kind of relationship um, and having that kind of diversity, I suppose. Um, so I was pretty disappointed when the when the ending turned out. Like I knew we couldn't trust Tilda, but the fact that it fully mm-hmm. leaned into I'm obsessed with you, I'm going to forcibly take you. Mm-hmm. And it's all about this unrequited love I feel like I have with Elizabeth. It just was like. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I think some of this falls victim to video games feeling like they need a final boss battle mm. to like that that fighting is the only way to put a end cap like a big fight is the only way to put an end cap on a on a video game narrative. And this is not the first game nor do I imagine it will be the last that has fallen victim to this this concept that a boss a giant boss fight has to be the end of the game and has to we have to find a way to shoehorn that in um but I just I just want like this story could have been it, it just would have been way more interesting to have a conversation play out where where Tilda was trying to convince Aloy to like where the nemesis yeah. thing gets revealed and she's tr- that that our final fights are with the Farzinas as we're as we're working our way up and then, and then we get that final reveal of like, yeah, you know, we knew we couldn't fully trust Tilda, but here it is. It's finally Mm -hmm. known what her actual plan was. And she explains what was really happening. I I honestly feel like some of that might've even made the nemesis stuff feel a little bit better Mm -hmm. uh, too. If it was her just being like, Hey, here's what's really going on. This shit is after us. Um, 
but I knew that I wanted to come here and I wanted I wanted another chance to save <laughs> Elizabeth and and for Aloy to have a moment to be like I'm not Elizabeth and also like we've got to stay in safe humanity and then Tilda just decides to leave like mm-hmm. that <laughs> that could have been a much more uh, like interesting and real and and human moment between them than than Tilda kind of like yeah losing it and being like I'm going to take you with me. Or maybe even Tilda decides to stay. Like mm-hmm. that could have been interesting too. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, instead, they they gave that moment to silence. So you have a big boss fight with Tilda, where Tilda like basically puts on a mech suit. Yeah. And you fight Tilda. Just, <laughs> just it was just silly and pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, you're right. You don't. We don't officially see Tilda dead. She gets knocked out of the mech suit at the end before it like explodes, and then we just see like the hand move and. That's it. So who knows what they're going to set up for the next game. Um, but then silence comes through and he's like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm going to peace out because we can't, <laughs> we can't beat this nemesis thing. So I'm just going to, I'm going to get on the spaceship and leave and do what the Zenus were going to get do. And I'm going to go terraform another planet. And Ayla's like, you really shouldn't do that. Like you should stay and help us. Like we could use your help. And he's like, nah. And then he gets in the ship. And then a few minutes come by and he just comes back down. He's like, actually, I think you guys are going to need my help. It's just like, okay. <laughs> well, okay. I will say on that scene, I, I just paying it a little bit more recently. It, it did show like the camera pan to Aloy walking over to her friends and yeah. sort of like the group was like coming together and they were all sort of like celebrating their small win and also being like, okay, like let's start planning. And I, it showed silence kind of watching that interaction I got the sense that he was like, hey, maybe there, maybe I too am not an island. And like, it, like it felt like this kind of like, oh, you guys, well, yeah, I can't leave you behind or else soon I turn around for five minutes and you blow up the planet kind of like, <laughs> it felt like he got a little FOMO. <laughs> that would have, I definitely agree with you that that's what they want us to feel in that moment that would have rung more true for me if silence had been in the game for more of it. Yeah. Let's right. Like silence is, you talk to him a little bit in the very beginning of the game when you're trying to track down Hades. And then once the game sets you up on the main arc of looking for Bergaya and finding some of the different subroutines, he's gone. Mm -hmm. He's not in the game at all. You don't even have conversations with him. He is completely gone all the way for basically from the end of the first act until the end of the second. It's so like the entire middle chunk of the game, which is probably a good 30 hours of gameplay, yeah. depending on all the side stuff you're doing. He's not there. Then he comes back in at the end. He's immediately, you know, dismissive to, to Aloy and her mm-hmm. plan again, even though she's completely like, she's made so much progress without him. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, yeah, Silence has never shown any love or appreciation for Aloy or any of these other characters. He is in the base for like a few, like two missions at the end, and you can mm-hmm. talk to him. But I just feel like they should have brought him back into the fold a lot sooner and yeah. had him be more a part of the story, more interacting with them, more actually spending time with these characters that he like enjoys being frenemies with mm-hmm. for that turn of him being like, you're right, like this was nice to be a part of a team and like do this because i think that's a i think that's a good character arc for him to have i just don't Mm -hmm. think it was that moment is earned at all because 
we don't watch any of that development happen. Yeah. And the game spends so much time building up, like what is silence doing in the forbidden West? Why does he want me to follow him out there? Like what, why is he manipulating these tribes and creating this army? Like what's going on? What, how do his goals differ from the far Zenith? And then it basically just comes down to like, Oh, I was just like, he was like there, there's this uh, huge database of human knowledge that's on the Zenith ship. And he was basically like, yeah, I wanted to get that and bring down the Zenith. And it's like, okay, well, then we could have just worked together this whole time. Like, there was really no point to you being on your own for the whole game, just like sending me shitty texts and holograms being like, <laughs> haha, I'm smarter than you, Aloy. It's like, okay, like, so there's a really urgent catastrophe approaching, and these Zeniths are here, and we have to figure out how to. Um, uh, how to fight them with their advanced technology, but you still have time to make these voicemails making fun of me. Like, I'm just kind of like, what was the point of any of this? Um, well, his whole, arg- yeah. his whole argument is that he, he avoids Aloy because he knows she wouldn't agree with his plan. And he believes that his plan is the only way to save humanity. His plan, FYI, is to stir up Regala and her follow her supporters uh, to get them to build an army of Tanakh and robot machines to fight the Zeniths, knowing full well that they will likely all die in the process. So his plan hinges on essentially the mass murder of an entire culture that exists in the current world. And he thinks that Aloy won't be cool with that. So he doesn't involve her, which makes sense because Aloy wouldn't be cool with that. But you know what Aloy does? She both thwarts his plan and figures out a better way to fight the Zeniths um, by having uh, Beta which we got to circle back around to beta, but by having beta, like have Hephaestus build a bunch of machines for them, basically make the machine army so that it's just machines fighting the Zeniths and not humans dying in the process too. So I don't know. There's an interesting space here to tell a story about a character has too much hubris who like, he doesn't want to trust that Aloy is smart enough to do anything. He does see her as like this simple, you know, Nora warrior who, can't like think her way out of a paper bag Mm -hmm. but she proves herself to be much more than that and i just think it would be it would be a lot more fulfilling narratively if we actually had him both watch that happen and see him progress as he comes around to being like you know what actually like i keep discounting this person and and her team that she's put together and they keep proving me wrong and you know my idea of like a ton of humans dying to save the planet actually was was shit <laughs> maybe maybe i should stick around and see if i can help them yeah and also like aloy came up with her plan in like five minutes so it's kind of like <laughs> i feel like it's um like you have a much more success you have better ideas when you have a group of people and can yeah. brainstorm and it's like yeah. he just made everything so much harder for himself by, so much harder by doing that so yeah i don't know i just I, similarly i felt like um silence also just his existence as a banuk tribe member and how they sort of integrate technology into their bodies and stuff like that's totally absent from this game and so mm-hmm. he's just kind of this character who randomly has glowing shit in his body and you're unless you've played the first game you just kind of have like no idea why he's like that um Mm -hmm. so i don't know i just felt like there was uh like silence was very much underutilized um and on top of that it's like 
when he was involved, it was almost like as an afterthought. It was almost like they were like, we ended the first game with this cut scene at the end of the credits, all about silence, having this big plan. Mm-hmm. But when we wrote the game and actually made it six years later, we had some different story ideas, but we've <laughs> got to keep them in here somehow. Yeah. Hopefully they won't pull the same thing with Nemesis. I know. Oh, <laughs> we that? get the end of the uh, trilogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They like solve Nemesis in five minutes and then (laughs) they come up with something else. (laughs) But um, anyway, you brought up Beta, who was instrumental in this final battle. Um, And we just wanted to kind of go back a bit and talk about that character. Because I think um, for a game that, as you were talking about earlier, doesn't really give emotional payoffs or really show the growth of these characters in a relatable way. Um, It's strange that it's like that because it also introduced this character of Beta, which in a lot of ways gives you a lot of insight into Aloy and Mm -hmm. creates this new, um, this new perspective from which to consider Aloy's character and why she is the way she is. And so Beta is another clone of Elizabeth Sobek. Mm-hmm. Um, one who was created by the Farzinus for the express purpose of being a key into um, the different uh, cauldrons and machine labs and, and things on Earth um, because Elizabeth, her DNA, her face and stuff, it's like it's scanned and she has like alpha clearance to mm-hmm. get into all of the onto all of these structures. And so they need her to kind of access the technology. But um they're monsters. <laughs> so they basically raised <laughs> her completely in isolation, made to believe that she was, I mean, that she's exists just to serve them and to fill a fulfill a purpose. And so she had no, you know, no one to hold her as a baby, no one to teach her social norms, no one, no other children to talk to. Um she was abused. She was isolated. And so as an adult now, she is incredibly anxious. She has no mm-hmm. self-esteem. She's very panicky. She's flighty. Um, she's, uh, you know, she gets debilitating anxiety, panic attacks, um, all very understandable for a child that was essentially, you know, raised in captivity, um, mm-hmm. and given no tools to navigate you know, stress or mental health or have a sense of a strong sense of self. And so seeing her interactions with Aloy throughout the game, Aloy, who, while also raised in isolation, did have a very strong paternal figure, does have friends who support her and give her strength and, you know, are sounding boards for her, um, is strong, is capable, um, and has you know, entire civilizations around her calling her the hero and, and uh, you know, validating that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you kind of, that contrast, it just, like, I thought that was one of the deepest parts of this game was the fact that mm-hmm. they, I was like, wow, they're really exploring, like, how prolonged childhood trauma can create traumatized adults who don't have the tools to deal with situations. Like, this is awesome. And mm-hmm. contrasting with Aloy, who is seeing literally herself, um, and I, I thought very realistically showed her struggling very much with Beta, like being like, oh, like, is this, like, this is me? Like, like, 
this is another like this is another version of me like how could i turn out like this like i kind of hate her like i i have a hard time talking to her because i find her so annoying and like and grating and she's not helpful like i'm already stressed i don't need this other person yelling at me about how we're all gonna die like this is this sucks and i was like that's so realistic like (laughs) i feel like you would hate yourself if you met yourself and yeah just you're seeing all the things about you that you don't like maybe um and her it's it's everything that Aloy wouldn't ever allow herself to be right like she's she's got her own emotions on such a tight leash that seeing beta lean into like be more controlled by her emotional and and mental state than Aloy lets her lets herself be um or or even is capable of tuning into i I thought that was interesting absolutely yeah so i don't know through by the end of the game, um, there's a moment where, uh, you know, Beta is captured by the Zeniths and they have to go save her. And Aloy says, um, you know, like, that's my sister. Like, she calls her, she calls Beta her sister. And um, there's this acceptance of, like, you know, I had experiences that you didn't. And it's not your fault that, um, you know, your life was like this. And you know, I'm here now to protect you and take care of you and support you. And it's like that kind of language of a capable, rational adult speaking to a child, but the traumatized child within you is something that is a very important part of cognitive behavioral therapy for people who are adult survivors of trauma, which is, which I am one of those people. And a lot of my trauma work is centered around identifying the parts of myself that are trapped in that childlike state of fear and panic and pain. And within myself, finding the capacity to hold that part of myself, like literally envision holding that person in my arms and saying, I'm here, I'm going to protect you it's okay, like a parent would, like self-parenting is a huge part of this kind of therapy. And that's exactly what is happening in the game. Like Aloy gets to a point where, and it's crazy because like in therapy, I too was like, always like, I hate that I'm always anxious. I'm so weak. I hate that I'm like this. I like, I hate myself. I hate myself. And I had to really learn and it's still a process to be like, no, it, of course you're anxious. Like, look at what you went through. Of course you're in pain. Like, why would you, if a child was crying in front of you, you wouldn't cast it away. You'd pick it up in your arms and hold it and tell it it's okay. Why can't you do that to yourself? And Aloy has to learn to do that with Beta, to be there for her and and accept and love that part and that capacity within herself as well. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, so this is all happening, yeah. And and I expect this is true, but it it the game does sometimes feel like there's just different like writers or writer yeah. writing teams kind of focusing on different aspects of the game. And yeah, I don't know anything about their development process, but I know that having uh, writers focused on different areas is pretty common. Um, 
pretty common for huge games like this. Like I, I know for sure there's like different folks who who write side quests versus who write main narrative stuff like that. So yeah, I do wonder if if kind of this relationship between Beta and Aloy was something that there were just some specific people focused on who really had a good grip on that, and then yeah. kind of the need to. Well, not need, but the strong desire, the strong pull to give us a big epic narrative ends up taking focus away from some of the that more detailed stuff in terms of how Aloy relates to the other characters because there was so much attention. But and and I think the two relationships in this game that are most important to me and that I think the game does the best job of conveying are the relationship between Aloy and Beta and the re- relationship between Aloy and Varl. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that that's where they put the time and energy and resources. And I just wish that we could have gotten that. I would love that with all of the characters. Yeah. And maybe they just don't feel like that's worth the effort because they don't think players are going to engage that deeply with all of that. But I would have loved to see that expanded out and, and to get just to get that level of depth with all of the stories. Cause I, I think yeah. there's, I think there's space for it. I think it would make the game much richer. Yeah. Like, but Oh, sorry. No, I just, I've never seen that in a game, um, like portrayed in a way that I felt was so relatable to anyone who has gone through this kind of process. And, uh, I, I thought it was masterfully executed. I was touched by that. I was like, cause I hated beta at first. I was like, this mm-hmm. bitch is so fucking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, over time, like Aloy, I was like, but it, like building that inner compassion to be like, mm-hmm. it's not your fault. Of course you're this way. Like, like that is such an important skill and empathy to build. And it's just like, I was so touched. And so I was confused why it, it, what, it was the only place where that was happening. Like, clearly their capacity is there um, for this game yeah. to hold that kind of narrative. Um, so yeah, <laughs> um, we should talk more about Varl too. Cause that's another place where, as you mentioned, um, the narrative, the, the, narrative and relationship was strong until the end of the game where he too sort of falls by the wayside in service of this epic setup for the next game um, where I felt like much of the game was colored by Aloy through Varl learning to open up to another person and and therefore open up to other people outside of her tribe outside of outside of Varl um, and yet uh and sorry, I should say, like, you know, Varl dies. Uh he's killed by a, a far zenith. Um his death is sort of like they have to keep going. Like it's sort of mm-hmm. um, you know, Aloy, she does say, like, I'm gonna bury my friend. And um they set up a nice um there's like this mesa at the base um where um Zoe, his partner, has created this beautiful garden. He's buried there, and you have the option to go and sit with him. Like, if you're in the area, you can go and press the button, sit with Varl. Um, I personally felt like um, just because she kind of says to him before she leaves, like, I'm like, I'm going to do this, like, in a lot of ways for you. Like, we're going to finish this mission we started. Um, I miss you. I wish you were here. Um, and I guess I thought that the game would sort of end with her coming back to Varl and being like, you know, like we did it. And I know there's another threat coming, but like, it's, we're going to fight this. And 
like just ending because the the journey started with her and Varl, like leaving, entering the Forbidden West together and setting out. And it it just sort of ends with him completely out of the picture. Like the last few hours of the game, it's all about fighting the Zeniths and oh, Nemesis is coming. And now all my (laughs) friends are going out to figure out how we're going to save the world. And it's just like no mention or uh, any closure there. So that was... Do they not? Can you not? Well, so I know the game doesn't automatically take you back there. But if you go back and talk to Varl after you finish the game, doesn't she say something along those lines? I think she says, I think she does say something to him, if I remember correctly. But I just felt like, you know, in the in the ending cutscene where they show like, oh, well, her friend's setting off and her getting ready for the next challenge. Like there's no like a few seconds where she's sitting with mm-hmm. Varl or like Var, like it, it, it completely skips. Like he's not at all part of the yeah. ending sort of vignettes. Yeah. And so, I, I don't know. It just felt a little weird to me that that was completely absent. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it, it could have been more powerful to just put that right into the cutscenes rather than making it this uh, again, taking something, uh, taking a beat like that and making it completely optional um, yeah. to experience. I think is an interesting choice. I think a big, yeah, a big part of what makes both the relationship with Beta and the relationship with Varl so powerful in the game is the fact that these are the only times where, (laughs) by and large, the only times that we see Aoi express emotions, right? Mm. And I, I, I guess I think that really continues to hit on what something we were talking about a bit in the last public episode, which is just like at this point, having spent you know, let's assume Zero Dawn was also approximately a 70, 80 hour game. You know, we've spent 150, 160 hours with Aloy and still feeling like she's keeping us as players at a distance. Mm. These uh, scraps that the game throws us where she is, we are getting a peek behind the curtain and seeing a bit of her interior life. And those are the what that's those are the moments that we're grasping onto. And those are the relationships that feel most authentic because she does get frustrated with Beta. And she expresses that. And then she goes to Varl and is vulnerable with him and yes. says, like, I don't understand why she's like this. I don't understand why I'm like this. Who is mm. this? This person isn't me. I thought this was going to be somebody that I could rely on that would help us. And she's helpless and miserable and, like, not helpful and mm-hmm. and scared. And, like, trying to express that to him. I We don't see her go to anyone else in the game. And say that she doesn't right. have that conversation with Aaron. She has it with Varl and Varl helps her understand that she has a completely different support system in her life than Beta's ever had. And Varl is also really kind and, and generous to Beta mm. as well throughout the game. Like he's the one that uh, the, the characters are constantly alluding to the fact that Varl has like gone and spent time with Beta or um, he'll go down and talk. She like Beta went at the base uh, feels most comfortable like in the server room, I guess is what it is, which is kind of like in the basement of the base. It's very isolated and quiet yeah. and dark, um, which tracks with kind of like how she was raised and what she's used to. Um, but Varl will go down there and have conversations with her. He'll bring her meals and he makes sure that she's up to date on everything that's going on. So you kind of get this sense that he's really like being a caretaker for her and, and helping her get acclimated. Yeah. Um, and he helps like bridge the gap when when Aloy's like not interested in talking to Beta. He helps convince Beta to uh, help them with some of the different stuff that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So the game spends a, a lot of time like 
showing us that Varl is a very good person, a very good friend to Aloy, someone that she feels very close to and someone that we're meant to really respect and, and care about. And it, I, I definitely, before we got to the point where they killed Varl, I was like, oh, we're spending an awful lot of time yeah. developing a lot of humanity and and like emotional stakes around Varl, aren't we? It's like a Walking oh boy. Dead episode right <laughs> <Yeah>. before us. <laughs> I was like, wow, like Varl really like has become a fully fleshed character in this in this game. And like, I really care about him. And I really like the relationship that him and Aloy have with each other. And then like right about we got to that point, him and Beta and Aloy go on a mission together. And I was like... I feel Rout. like something bad's gonna happen. Yeah. And sure as shit, he ends up dead. And I just think I don't know. They you reference that they have the like Mesa there, and I really think the way they handle his death and the conversations that you can have with his partner Zoe afterward, I think all that's really well handled and very, very like beautiful and poignant mm-hmm. and very emo- like I was very emotional that Varl was dead. Like I all of that was really well handled, but I still just feel like it's just it's it's very tropey i think it's unfortunate that he's like a he's one of the like two like main characters Mm -hmm. that we see consistently in the game that is black and silence is a black man and he shows up at the end too Mm -hmm. but like and and regala but by and large a lot of the other um characters of color kind of like a little bit more relegated to side stories and he was like a very prominent character in the game his partners was very prominent character in the game and and just to make that choice to to kill him specifically, yeah. I, I thought it was leaning into a little bit of some trope stuff that they didn't necessarily need to do. Yeah, and I just feel like it could have been—I don't know—I just would have been more interested to see where the story went with Varl still in it, yeah. um, and being such a and and can, just continuing to be someone that Aloy would fucking talk to because yeah. she won't talk to she us. She needs that, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that too. She won't talk to us as the player. She's not talking to anybody else. She's not opening up with anybody else. Maybe we'll see some more of that with Beta in the mm. next game, um, and and seeing her continue to to get more in touch with who she is as a person and her emotions. But yeah, I do think it was maybe a missed opportunity to further develop the characters, even if it was a powerful emotional beat that definitely choked me up. Um, yeah. I just kind of, I, I felt a little bit manipulated because yeah. you could start to see the writing on the wall of like, Oh, they really want us to care about Varl. They're probably going to kill Varl. And then they killed Varl. Um, but I, I do love the the button prompt at his memorial says sit with Varl. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a small, simple choice that just it just me it just feels really nice to go yeah. up there. And it's not like the button prompt doesn't just say sit or, the, or t- you know, but it's like sit with Varl. Mm-hmm. Something about that simple choice and the wording there I thought was really powerful. And it's a beautiful location mm-hmm. in the game. Like these you're on this mountaintop kind of overlooking the east, actually. Um, in this, your base is in the mountain range that kind of separates the eastern portion of the game and the western portion of the game. And yeah, you can kind of look out towards the lands that uh, Zoe is from, and then further past that where Varl and Aylor are from. So that's all that's all very beautiful. Yeah, and that is actually when I fully finished the game and I got the platinum. That was I had referenced in the previous episode that I went back to the base and talked to a friend before mm. actually turning the game off. And that was where I went. That was my last moment. Uh-huh. I 
I got on the, we didn't even touch on this, but I got on the flying mounts because in the last third of the game, they introduced the ability to uh, ride a, they're these sun wings. They're basically big pterodactyls. (laughs) And the animation for getting on them is so cool because you'll call them and they'll like come in and just like grab you and flip (laughs) you up into the air onto their back. And then you can just fly across the map, which is such an awesome way to open up the map for that end game, right? Mm -hmm. Because at that point in the game, I feel like they introduced that right about the point I was starting to get tired, was starting to fast travel a lot because I was getting tired of like running miles and miles across the map. And then they're like, here you go. Now you can just fly. And I was like, fuck that. I'm never fast traveling again. (laughs) I'm just going to fly everywhere I got to go. Yes. Uh, So that's very cool. But yeah, after I got the platinum, flew back to the base and and went there to to Varl's gravesite and sat with him one final time and had a conversation and then just looked out over the mountains. That's Before beautiful. I turn the game off. Yeah, I um there's face paints you can do in the game. Mm. And um there's one, I think it's one you get early on, but I didn't wear any through the game. But there's one that's um like it's a big upside down triangle over the cheek, which is a Nora face paint that Varl wears throughout mm. the game. Mm-hmm. And so to honor him, I put on the um Nora face paint that matches Aww. his and I sat at his grave and I kept it on like at, for the rest of the game um that was my little way of <laughs> honoring him yeah so what an experience yeah it really was i i feel like we complained a lot <laughs> in the spoiler cast but there's just so much stuff that i feel like the game had just made small changes and and decided to focus on the humanity and the characters as opposed to the epic proportions of the narrative. It could have really grounded some things for me. Mm. I think sci-fi narratives like this can tend to be kind of uh, just out there. Like, Mm -hmm. and I guess that's kind of what we want from sci-fi. We want it to get a little batty and, and this does. And I think there's plenty that you could critique in terms of like, just some of the, the, you know, the nemesis thing, even like we're laughing about earlier. Uh, and you can pick that kind of stuff apart, but I I think all of that would be more easily glossed over if it felt like the human element was there and that they were yeah. knocking that out of the park every time. And unfortunately, there's there's a lot of it that they're kind of missing the mark on. So yeah. I'm excited to see what they do with the third game. Hopefully, they'll listen to this podcast and take some more <laughs> feedback. <laughs> Let me come help you write your games. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And again, like you know, we're we're critiquing it because we love it and mm-hmm. we love spending time with it. And we just, there's so much, you know, that we want to take and run with and dream up. And so I, I, you know, I, I hope that it's clear that while we're complaining, it's not from a place of malice. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, you know, we care that much. (laughs) Well, and I think Aloy is a super compelling character and the stakes that they have set her up with are super interesting. The world she exists in is super interesting. I feel a lot of similarities between myself and Aloy and some of the stuff that she's struggling with. And I just want to have more access to her interior and have a better understanding of how she's processing those things rather than her feeling like more of a cipher for us to kind of just put whatever we want on. I, I want the game to acknowledge some of the things that they've, they spend a lot of time kind of alluding to or just leaving vague so that other folks, so that people playing can fill it in. Like this isn't a game where I'm supposed to be filling in the gaps because I'm not making decisions about who Aloy is 
Uh, I'm not making dialogue decisions. I'm not deciding who to romance or whatever. This this is a game where the game developers are telling me a narrative. So tell me that narrative. Don't keep all of this stuff vague. I shouldn't be filling in these gaps. I sh- mm. You should be telling me. You should be answering these questions for us mm-hmm. because as players, we weren't given the agency to decide. And that's okay. I'm totally fine with that. But then fill it in. Mm. Um, don't just keep it vague so that you don't have to commit or mm. whatever it is they're doing there. Yeah, yeah. So that has been our first official Pixel Therapy spoiler cast. <laughs> uh, y'all have to let us know uh, in in the comments if you liked it, hated it. Send us an email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. Let us know what you thought of Horizon Forbidden West. Yeah. Uh, if tweet you're, us. <laughs> yeah, tweet us. Tell us what you thought of this. Maybe we'll do more of these in the future. I don't know. This one just kind of felt right to do because Spencer and I both had a lot to talk about after we both finished the game and didn't want to inundate your your threads with another yeah. <laughs> Horizon <laughs> episode. So this one's just for the real fans <laughs> out there. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is our show for today. Go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. Bye bye.